Many people have problems with art and not with reality. So what is art different? It's pretty simple, right? This is knowledge, this is thinking, this is thought. Yeah, it does something strange with your head. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. Bring it. Welcome to episode 61 of the Undergang Armchair Podcast. My name is Ondo. What an uncertain time and what a great show we have for you. We have one of the great warriors with us today, Yes Brink, and I'm really, really excited to share this talk with you guys. There's a lot of talk right now in the art world. Money, inflation, money, bubbles, money, monoculture, more money. A lot of people, myself included, are very critical about the current way that art is disseminated and consumed in our world, but not a lot of people have terribly sustainable ideas about diversifying the modern art experience, myself included. So this is why I was so excited to speak to Yes. I think this is something which affects a lot of us. Personally, in my own hunt to, to make a living in the art world, my own hunt for exposure, for Whatever it is, as artists we're searching for, I've lost some of the fun and some of the chaos. And I think it's really easy. Art becomes a job, just like any other job. And Yes points out, if he wanted to deal with hierarchy, he could have gotten a job in a corporation. Wasn't the whole point of being an artist to, to live and work in a different way? Obviously, I won't go on and on here. He's far more eloquent on the subject than I can be. But what I think he's saying is important. I think the debate needs to return not just to the mouths of artists and critics, but to the works and words of us all, right? So, all hail the chaos, let us burn the hierarchy, and afterwards, in the warm receding glow, let us enjoy the sage words of Yes Brink. So do you? So you just came back from Vietnam four years ago or something? No, like no that? I was one and a half years in Singapore as well. Right. And it was like before that, it was eight years in Vietnam. I left Denmark in two thousand and three, and then stayed in Asia for more or less ten years. Why did you go to Vietnam? Oh, why? Why? Um, yeah. <laughs> why go anywhere? It's a great place to live, and uh, I mean, I traveled in Asia, in India and Nepal, and uh, I quite, I mean, when you have an India experience, then Vietnam is like a holiday, so it's very easy to stay in Vietnam, you're like, mm. it's great, and um, at that time, I had a divorce from my wife then, and I thought, we, we moved to the countryside of Moen, Denmark, mm -hmm. And when it didn't work there, I thought, I didn't want to go back to Copenhagen. I was dead bored with Copenhagen. And then I thought, why not try something entirely different? And uh, Vietnam was a possibility. And I thought I could start there and then uh, move on if I didn't like it. But then Vietnam is, I mean, it was, it was pretty good in 2003. So yeah, I mean, and you said you were making art there, but... yeah. Did you have any network? Did you know people? No, there? no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I just started from scratch. But, I mean, Vietnam is, or at least was at that time, a very open place. And I took a lot of Vietnamese language lessons so I could 
distinguish myself from backpackers or sex tourists or whatever and explain people that I was interested in their culture and the language. And actually, in the beginning, I didn't make an effort to explain to people that I was an artist. I was really tired tired of the Copenhagen art scene and the, that part of the international art scene, the jet set art scene that I've had a, a taste of, you can say. Uh, so I, I basically wanted to have like a fresh start. It was like just starting from scratch and another life. And uh, after a while, of course, I saw that there was a lot of possibilities and uh, I started doing art again or whatever. So. Was it a chance to kind of reevaluate what you were doing too? Yeah, in a sense, but more on a personal level, I would say. It's just like, it's like you have a different life. You, you get a fresh start and you can re- reinvent yourself in, mm. a, in a positive sense. And it's not like I had anything that I wanted to run away from. Uh, it, I mean, it wasn't anything dramatic. It was just like, it was a positive chance, simply, mm. to build up a new language and a uh, new yeah, how can you say new relationships and uh, right. experience a new culture and whatnot? And it's well, I mean, that's exciting. kind of similar why I moved to Denmark. Uh, yeah. Not that it's that different of a culture, but mm. but a chance to kind of just start from the bottom up and see what it is you want to keep yeah. and what you don't want to yeah. keep about yeah. what you do. Yeah. Um, were you? I mean, did you? You you must have continued a relationship professionally to Denmark, though. Not in the beginning, actually. Mm. Um, I, I, I just really liked that, you know, unplugging the phone and, <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, that cut off. It was like a little bit like I gave Copenhagen the finger and just left. Mm. I was so tired of it. I mean, I basically grew up at the art scene in Denmark. Yeah, I attended academy from I was 18 and... The Royal Academy. Yeah, 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 and I grew up in the punk scene as well. So, I mean, from I was thirteen or so. So, like the youth house. Uh... No, 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 no. Uh, that was more hippie squatter kind yeah. of, but uh, I mean, more like punk, standing on stalks playing vinyl and all that. Nineteen eighty. Wow. Whatever. I mean, so it means like I've used Copenhagen so much, and I just got so many turns in the hamster wheel you know so it's small yeah it's the small. Our world is even smaller yeah. there i mean i've only been here uh, there yeah. for eight years and okay. i i, I don't see everybody but i think I've you've seen it all in, in eight years yeah, <laughs> yeah. On, yeah. You know? sure definitely which is both good and bad yeah you know yeah uh, but but there are it, it's certainly inbred you could say yeah and the art academy it's such a weird thing that whole track from if you get into the art academy, then you get into the network, yeah. and then by the time you graduate, yeah. if you're good at what you do, yeah. I mean, clearly not everybody makes it, but you have the best chance of yeah. being able to work professionally sure. as an artist. Uh, and it's just such a like one lane track. Yeah, it's, it's opening cool. up now. Yeah, which is good, but uh, yeah. but yeah, but did you did you grow up in Copenhagen too? Yeah, yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. So I can understand. I mean, that's kind of yeah. why I left the states. Yeah, <laughs> I was. It was 2006. George Bush had been reelected. Okay, and yeah. war, and I was yeah. just like, I, sh- I should go. Yeah, know? sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, was what did being in Vietnam do to your work? Um, I would say it. It gave me a lot of reflection on life in the West. I would say most mm. of all, because it it, it took a longer while to figure out what was actually going on in Vietnam you need to I mean how can you say look behind the curtains or whatever under the surface uh, 
because I mean they're trying to tell a very pretty story in Vietnam about how it is and gender equality and development and blah 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 and actually it's fucked up in a different way than Scandinavia is I mean but it definitely I mean I don't think any country is better than another but I mean right everybody's fucked up in their own way yeah exactly but it took a while to, for me to figure that out so that was more in the end of my stay the last three years that I started to understand that properly mm. the first it was more like a reflection of how cold and estranged and money fixated Scandinavia is and uh, focused on uh, safety safety nets and whatever so in Vietnam you can basically go by without a system without any safety net at all and that's I mean after growing up in Scandinavia that's actually quite a victory mm. when you figure that out mm. I can actually stand on my own two feet and mm -hmm. get along and I can survive in a, in a different culture It's so crazy how there is, I mean, the socialist system or the welfare state is really beautiful in a lot of ways, but it, for some people, it doesn't really inspire them to dream big or go big. You know, I've got, I've got a, a friend of mine who's a teacher at a school here in Copenhagen or sorry, in, uh, in Aarhus. Mm. And uh, he says all his students, their biggest dream is to move to Copenhagen and go on doping, go on, uh, <laughs> Go on, uh, support money, you know, and and that's that's the best they can think of, in terms of options for their life. But, but maybe this, I well, mean, it's safe, it's easy. But maybe maybe actually time is more important than career and money. Yeah. I mean, time is another very valuable thing. I think so. Well, with safety comes freedom. Yeah. And you you know you can either use that or not use it. Yeah. I guess is the big question. I mean, when I was a teenager, I was like you could go on welfare and uh, they would leave you alone when uh, if you were just like playing bass or something like that that was okay mm. I mean at least you're not Didn't a burden have to do something no no at least you're not a burden to the system and you know what you want to do and that was fine so, mm. and actually I think that was pretty good so and also to call Scandinavia socialists I mean It's social fine. social democratic I would say yeah, I yeah. mean Vietnam is proposed uh, I mean supposedly socialist I don't know right I don't think neither of these two countries are, in fact. But, oh. No, no, you're absolutely right. And I, what I guess what I mean to say is more like a, a welfare state or welfare or yeah. say There's a much bigger safety net here. And yeah. as an American, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mm. mean, I come from uh, just north of San Francisco. Mm. And you say, okay, San Francisco is famous for gay people, right? Mm. There's way more homeless people on the streets of San Francisco than there are gay people. Mm. You know, but no one talks about that. Yeah. You know, so in a way, it's a slow-moving humanitarian disaster, or whatever you want to say. Mm. You know, that system mm. really encourages a lot of great art, a lot of great culture, music, movies, mm. all this stuff. But if you don't make it, you're on your ass, mm. and no yeah. one's really going to help you. You know, no. unless you have family systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I imagine Vietnam's like that too, in that the yeah. family system, the mm. family and social world, is your safety net. Mm, yes. If you need help um, when you're old, your family takes care of you. That was what I found out after staying a while in Vietnam. That was like all my friends, my intelligent friends, they were like, they had to climb because they couldn't stand. I mean, they, they could not evolve career-wise or do anything. One of my best friends, uh, he was fluent in Spanish and English and a really sharp guy. He started at university and he had to be a tour guide. So... No and, jobs, no interesting jobs. No, I, he could move on to become kind of human resource manager at a hotel, but I mean, 
because his family was not connected to the government or the army or whatever. I mean, basically, he was fucked. So yeah, that's tough. You can understand why people emigrate in that mm. case. You know. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Uh, were there other doors open to you as a foreigner because you were not at all related to the system? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I was not really that interested in entering the Vietnamese society. I actually like that luxury position where you're on the edge of a society. I mean, that's actually quite a privilege, I would say, that mm. you don't have to get completely involved. I like that. I'm also a little bit reluctant to become very involved here in Malmö. I mean, I don't want that. Well, it strikes me that perhaps you're not, you're reluctant to be involved also in the art world. You've struck me as someone who kind of, you are involved clearly, but you're mm -hmm. not, you're not like some of the people I know who I see every opening everywhere, yeah. you know, <laughs> shaking hands, showing up. Uh, no. You know, you, you want to keep a healthy distance, it seems. Yeah, I know it drives me crazy. I, I think there's some bad values at the art scene, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think art is about careering, and I think everything has become so smooth, and I don't like the top-down way it's controlled now, that you have gallerists that are more like doormen or filters, picking out the right people. And mm -hmm. as an artist now, you're tested... Uh, will you obey or do you want to do as you want yourself and if you don't if I mean you have to collaborate in a very yeah, I think it's more like working within a corporate structure actually hierarchy uh, yeah hierarchy exactly and there's not that much creativity or art in that and I mean my background is a very kind of anarchist creative punk view of art mm. fuck the whole thing and uh, trying to open a back door and get all your friends in for free and make a small riot until you're getting kicked out. I mean, that's where I come from and that's where my instincts are like that. So That's not what the art world's like right now. No, <laughs> definitely not. It reminds me of a silver wedding now where you have to... What's a silver wedding? That's like uh, when you have been married for like 25 years or so whenever, <laughs> 30 years or whatever it is. Right. With all the white cloths, the tablecloths right. and the... What do you call that? Horrible speeches. And exactly. <laughs> White wine. And, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, has it changed drastically in the time you've been working? Was it different in the 90s? Yes, it was. How so? I, I, I was very much, um, how can you say, a person. I, I did a lot of stuff, like artist-run spaces and artist-run festivals, whatever stuff. And, and, and at that time, it, there was a big crossover between kind of the rave scene and the art world. So, and there was, uh, Carlsberg was a huge sponsor, so there was like free beer everywhere. And I mean, it was more like this ravey atmosphere, I would say. Do it, it yourself. More, yes, and more yeah, crossover party atmosphere. And then when I went to Vietnam, it's like during those seven to ten years, it's like everything was cleaned up and uh, became formalized. Although you could say Copenhagen has been cleaned up. That's the impression I get. In general, it used to be scruffier and dirtier. Yeah, yeah, and, yes. and people yeah. kind of were more doing whatever they wanted. Yeah. And it's been very much shined up and made into yeah. a... Uh, yeah. Yeah, and all the, the exhibition spaces now, they have been, uh, what do you call that, uh, fixed. Like Gammelstrand, uh, it looks mm -hmm. like a German museum now and whatever. But, I mean, the program has not become any better. I mean, it's like... It's not enough to fix the spaces and upgrade everything. I mean, if 
the whole atmosphere is formal and stiff. Mm. Well, we live in formal and stiff times, I think, in a way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And of course, that reflects into the art world. Yeah. What about uh, the new generation of artist-run spaces in town? I think they're copying uh, gallery spaces, and I think very often it looks like it's a career strategy. Uh, it's because they don't they don't have access to a gallery, so they go out and they copy the, the gallery structure. Mm -hmm. And it seems very snobbish and uh, opportunistic, career oriented. It's closed. Yeah, but it, for me, it's not interesting. I mean, the interesting thing about an artist-run space is doing something else. Mm. I mean. Fuck the system. Let's do something else. Let's do it better. Mm. Let's do it more crazy, more creative, more colors, better parties, more welcoming atmosphere. Get ordinary people people in, or get extreme people in. Whatever. Do some shows that I mean, mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Instead of just doing the normal minimal gallery, gallery show. Yeah. With a yellow wall and a white neon tube. I mean, fuck off. Yeah. But you're still here. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's the problem. Or it's not a problem, but it it it, it creates this tension between what you do. You know, because because unfortunately, the way it works is you have to stay. You know, don't you know. don't have to, but you 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 probably want to have a show every once in a while in a place. No, no, I mean that's not a big problem. I mean, uh, I am very trained in being self-organized so it's just a matter of finding a space and I know a lot of people that has all these art spaces that's not a problem at all mm. and I can even raise the money for projects I mean uh, the major problem is making a steady income mm -hmm. uh, which is important now since I have two kids that are four and six so right right it's not like being a punk back in the day <laughs> no I cannot just take my backpack and leave so. right That's actually the good thing about Vietnam. I mean, I just took my backpack and left, and that was it. So, mm. in that sense of freedom, it's, I mean, that's that's great. Yeah, it's fun. I know. Um, I read the article you wrote for the newspaper. Oh yeah, criticizing mm. the, uh, the the gallery scene, mm. and I thought it was really funny because then the newspaper went straight to galleries and said mm. what do you think you know and of course mm. they were like well i don't think so you know <laughs> yeah, exactly. and it's like, well no shit <laughs> i know you don't think yeah. that, you know mm. but uh but what was the process of doing that did you contact politica and say look I want no 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 it was the it. opposite way around i mean the um redacteur, the, the guy who was responsible for that and he was like uh, yes you have to write this uh about the art scene I was like ah but I don't want to piss off everybody I think it's somebody else's job now mm. it's, like, <laughs> it's been like my you're retired <laughs> yeah but then I mean he kept contacting me and in the end I was like okay I'll give it a shot and then I, I wrote the piece and I had different people check it so I could sort of clean it up and not be personal Because mm. I don't think that's fair. I don't want to be personal because I think it's, a, it's, it's structures. It's fair enough to criticize the structures, but... It takes away from, from the bigger point if it's personal. Exactly, exactly. And it's not whether one gallerist or another is, is doing whatever. I mean, there's it's a change at the scene and it's structural. And mm. I think that was what I wanted to write about. But at the same time, in this subjective way, I mean, I, I don't write... Objectively, I mean, it, it, uh, what I wrote there would not have gotten through if I had studied art history or whatever. So, I mean, right, it was still a point of view. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, 
But did you did you get any response or piss anybody off? I mean, yeah, I mean uh, the response in the newspaper from the established galleries they were a little bit pissed and uh, not really, but a lot of people, of course, was very happy about it because I think a lot mainly artists they they feel exactly the same, but they I think they're very reluctant to uh, state their criticism because they can lose too much. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you will normally hear them say these these kind of things five o'clock in the morning in a bar, mm-hmm. and not five o'clock in the afternoon at the opening. So. Right. Well, I mean, I you know I'm at the point right now personally where I am uh, trying to get in there. You know, the door you, the doors are closed uh, mm-hmm. as an artist to show mm-hmm. work and stuff. Okay. Uh, you know, I show here and there every once in a while and stuff. But like, yeah. I am right now at that point where you're trying to like figure out how do you navigate the mm-hmm. system, the hierarchy to mm-hmm. move on up. And of course, most people are there and they don't particularly want to fuck up their chances. No, but I'm like, if I have to navigate a hierarchy, I'm not going to make art. I mean, that was why I was here in the first place. I didn't want to work my way up in the corporate hierarchy. Mm. It was as an alternative to that. I saw it as an extension of the punk scene and as a constructive and creative alternative to that. Mm. I mean, the punk scene was it was half and half, half positive, half destructive. I mean, so there's a lot of drugs and whatever. So mm-hmm. I mean, Yeah, they can but, go both ways. Yeah. So, I mean, in, art was a possibility to... I mean... Keep on an uh, independent kind of anarchist way of living and be creative and do some things. And yeah, I thought it was fun. And I like doing art. I still do. Mm. I mean, I think it's fun. What about the, the, the other side of hierarchy, which, which essentially, you know, the guy, in my mind, the good side of hierarchy would be that good stuff rises to the top, right? That there's some sort of objective selection process which allows me to see what I would call interesting art Mm. at institutions which show art. Yeah, I think that works probably better in America than in Copenhagen. Maybe. I mean, America's closed too. The doors are definitely closed there. Yes, but at least you have Paul McCarthy in the top ten, so right. that's proof that something at least can be done. Right, right. Well, isn't there anyone here who's... uh, Who's doing fine? Who you think fits into uh, no. an anarchist mold or some sort of different tradition? No. no. Nothing, huh? No. No. I'm not sure. No. Wow. I mean, what, 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 what are you going to do? What's the plan? Because you're an artist. You make work. I assume you want to share the work with the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. No, no. I, I love the whole creative process I love doing art I love doing collaborations uh, collaborations sorry um, and also I like doing events and exhibitions and so on and I like a, yeah, the party thing and the, the social aspect almost. exactly yeah. when it's positive when it's non-hierarchical and people feel welcome mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's very important and it's so easy to establish that atmosphere mm-hmm. I mean Maybe the gallerists or whatever the responsible person would have to address each and every one that's entering the space and say welcome, for example. I mean, you don't have to give people a hug, you can just say welcome. I mean, that would make a huge difference. Mm. And also the way that the works are presented visually, I mean, it's like I see so much like minimal art aesthetic kind of power play 
I mean, I'm so tired of watching a big, big white space with a masterpiece. I'm so tired of masterpieces, especially when they're formal and minimal. I mean, right. It's like watching a huge white space with a B&O stereo. Right. I mean, right, right. It looks just like a, a good Danish design living room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Good it, taste. Yeah, I was talking to somebody else who was talking about how, how art... I was talking to Husmitang, hmm. and he was talking about how art, you know, back in the day, reflected time more, the time that they were in. You could see a painting from the Renaissance, and it would reflect something about society and life hmm. at that point. And if you watch a painting right now, which is a black square on a white surface, perhaps, hmm. it doesn't say anything about the time we live in right now. Yes, it does. It's a sign of crisis, I think. <laughs> and the retro thing is also a sign of crisis. It's, True, but it's you can't see life. You couldn't see how the life of the artist was, maybe emotionally or some sort of sign of society, but it wasn't. You it was probably the same in the 30s when Nazism were really big, I would mm. say. Then you would have all this retro stuff as well and going back to the Greeks and whatnot. So. Good old quality fascism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, does it, does it overpower your own work, this, uh, this discussion? No, no, no. No, basically I do what I want to do and uh, I, I'm self-organized. So most of the time, I, I have realized long time ago that I have to fix things myself and be like a, what do you call that, a spider with many arms, many legs and mm -hmm. be able to fundraise and write about my own stuff and curate, organize, whatever, sell. Um, uh, so, right. I mean, because that's the thing. Like you say, making a steady income. Yeah, is that, a that's the problem for an adult artist. You know, that's the problem, and I haven't really figured my way out of that yet. But I'm trying. So yeah, and I do still collaborate with V1, which is a proper commercial gallery. So right, but they're good people. I like them. Definitely good people. Yeah. Um, they but, have to. But you can pay your rent with a zero. That's correct. Um, Not even a one. No. <laughs> um, so. Sure, you know, and, and the thing is, you know, to, to, for example, you work in marble sometimes. Hmm. Uh, that's, not free, you know. You have to have some money. I, actually, I, may, I work in any media at all. So uh, I mean, and there was a period where I was, I had like seventy-five percent of the one storage space for all of my craft. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a lot of storage space. Yeah. Yes, and they were pretty tired of me at period. So yeah. Do you have a Do you have a studio practice? I mean, do you have a studio you work? I have in a, a studio lot? here in Malmo. So. And you, uh, I don't work there a lot. I work project oriented, so that means like I'm I'm not the kind of artist that would have to go to the studio. Otherwise, I become insane. Mm -hmm. I do it if I have a deadline. If I have a proper yeah, it's a little bit like if you're an actor. I don't think you're standing acting in front of the mirror at home. I mean, you want to get on stage somehow. So I want an audience. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it seems pointless. Well, that's the thing. Art is, you know, communication in that yeah. way. And I don't yeah. believe in the, in, in the artist who paints in the attic and then dies and everybody finds their work. I mean, clearly that happens every once in a hundred thousand times. But hmm. most of us want to communicate with the world and, and finish work by presenting but, it. But it's a very practical ideal for the gallerists, the artists that painted all his life in the attic 
and is found and then is only sold for millions after he's dead. Sure, but then they don't have to pay him either. Exactly. <laughs> they don't have to listen to him either or smell him or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I mean, I, I just don't really believe that. I, I, clearly, it happens every once in a while, but mm. I, I don't really believe in that system. Like mm. it doesn't. It's, it's not something to be relied on. The rest of us are here, and we are yeah. trying to talk to them, and we are trying to create some sort of debate. Yeah. Um, but I mean, is your work is your work idea driven? Are you are you conceptualizing yeah. yes. it before you touch anything? Yes, uh, mostly. But also sometimes I'm like in a dead end, and then I just start from whatever spontaneous. Uh, idea or whatever when it's not really kind of conceptual idea but just notion or whatever I mean mm. inspiration yeah so no I, but I would say mainly it's the idea that comes first and the actual artwork is in a positive sense an illustration of that idea and sometimes I find it boring just to think too much and plan too much and then collaborations is a very good way of breaking that predictability I would say mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because uh, if you collaborate more than one especially if it's two three or more uh, more than more than three for example it's completely unpredictable what will come out of it right so it can end up a really strange place mm -hmm. whereas when you realize your own work it's, it can only be success or failure nothing else right whereas collaborations can become some, something entirely different And that's, I guess, a chance to experiment more, yeah, yeah. to yeah, do sort sure. of more chaotic yeah. style. And I like that. And also, one thing I miss in art is, what do you call that? Um, contradictory, self-contradictory right. right. uh, productions, or whatever you would call it. I mean, that you don't have to state only one thing. You can actually say one thing and say the exact opposite in the next work, next right. to it. And so. they can be perfectly fine existing yeah, next course, to each other. Yeah, because we are. I mean, people are, the life is a paradox. We are paradoxes. I mean, people are pretty fucked up, I think. There's nobody that would only say one thing and whatever. So. Well, that's the scariest people, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people who say yes. it's only this way all yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those are politicians, really. Yeah, or employed by B&O. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, you, you do work in a lot of materials, clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're willing to, yeah. uh, you know, make a painting or smash a car or, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but it seems like there's a pretty consistent urge to provoke. Or at least, I don't, I, provoke is such a horrible word, really, because it's so loaded and it's such a weird past. But but to, to your, your form of discussion with people does involve... Uh, no, but pulling it's a, a little bit of on strings. I, I think it's okay to say provoke because uh, I never felt like I was part of normal society, of being normal or whatever. Mm. Uh, and it actually provokes me the whole kind of normalization process you have to go through. So I want to provoke back to that mm. kind of, what do you call it, repressive normality in a sense. Mm. And I think it's important that somebody that makes some cracks in the wall, whatever, I know, the mm -hmm. wall, that sounds mm -hmm. like Pink Floyd. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I mean, somebody that does something to provoke that right. image of... Right, it does have somewhat of the uh, middle finger raised, go fuck yourself. Uh... Yes, but it can be in a lot of different ways. Uh, and also, I, I think it's important to try to post some alternatives. When you criticize something, you also have a moral obligation to 
try to put up some alternatives somehow, mm. which is the hard part, of course. And so that's what's an example of that, for, you know? But that would be collaborations and uh, bringing in people from different areas than art and uh, younger people and whatever. So, I mean, mm. breaking down hierarchies and opening up and getting more people in, for example. Mm-hmm. And also trying to pose some different values somehow. Questioning values, the values we take for granted, and uh, yeah. yeah, these are big. These are big themes. Yeah, um, but it's fun, and I think I'm, if I have a theme of some sort, it's very easy for me to produce pictures from the theme. I mean, for example, I did a show, a theme show about death. Mm. I've never done anything that was so productive. I mean, and that's I think a quite an interesting kind of moral conclusion somehow death which we all fear and consider very negative it was actually the most productive theme to work with Hmm. I could make so many pictures just go on go on go on go on right and that's more personal although death is universal it's your your own feelings about you know that's not political necessarily no 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 but I mean you have the vulture you have the hospital bed you have whatever Mm. wheelchair and I mean there's so many symbols and I would just carry on funeral whatever how was it to go to art school for you it was great it was great did you feel like it was open to a level that you uh, yeah 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 completely but I mean it was different then because I was gonna say I think now because I went to art school and I found it to be very hierarchical yeah Uh, Yeah. although that was based off of money more than anything else I I can't really I mean evaluate how the art school is now I mean I know the people that are teaching there but I, I don't really know how they're doing it I mean I've, I haven't been a student I, I graduated in 1992 so mm. and everything has changed there's this Milano model whatever it is uh, it's like you have to, it has to equal a PhD everywhere else and whatever uh, it is so some sort of European convention yes about, uh, yes standards. exactly okay. yeah exactly yeah. the standardized the uh, education so that is it's a uh, valid if you move abroad as well. Right. Uh, and uh, at that time it wasn't, and, but for me it was great. I mean, I was 18 and I came in there and I had a studio, I had uh, materials, I had facilities, I had friends, and uh, we just like partying, drinking beer and painting and doing sculptures. I tried everything. I took every single course I could, casting bronze, right. doing graphics, whatever, prints, and... I didn't care, and there was all these little bit older students that had all these rules about what you should do, and you cannot do this, you cannot do that, and uh, that's not consequent enough, and whatever. Kind of a German purist idea. Right. And they all kind of failed, I've not forgotten, and uh, a few of us that just tried everything, had a lot of fun, and got more kind of varied experience, yeah. I think. So. Well, I mean, you could say that was a time, as far as I understand, in which Dan- Denmark changed a lot in terms of the art world. Hmm. You know, up until then, it was a very, very closed art. So, you know, back in the day, you just had to get into Groningen, and then you were, uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. could show your abstract. Yeah, but when I started, there was Scattery Aspect, and that was it. Yeah. End of story. Right. And I think Michael Andersen came a little bit later, I mean, but there was nothing. Right. Which so, is, must so, have been pretty grim. Yeah. But we, we went down there to Aspect, the whole team of like 30 art students, and stole their red wine. Uh, <laughs> right. Which art students don't even do anymore. Also, David's whole article was about, you know, David wrote this also a thing for okay. Politique and okay. David Risley yeah. about how uh, he doesn't need to have a gallery on Vogel 
in the nice gallery district, which is, you know, quite expensive and everything. He Mm. sells work just fine internationally, Mm. but he has it so people can come and engage. Mm. He wants people to come. He wants everybody to come. And nobody comes. Mm. And that was his whole thing. It was like, why Mm. am I here? I could have a warehouse Mm. out in the middle of nowhere, have shows and sell it to my international clients. What, Mm. you know, where is everybody basically? Mm. Uh, and he was saying, you know, where are the art students? But They're yeah, right down the street. They are literally right down the yeah, street. Yeah, but of course, people are estranged by Bredegade. I mean, that, that goes, goes without saying. I mean, it smells of old money. Sure, but if you know so. David, he's pretty. He's, he's one of the most welcoming of... But you have to know that. Yeah. You can't see that. True. I mean, true. you have to meet him at night uh, at Cafe Malmö or something. Then you figure it out. But otherwise, it's like... No, I, I actually think that there's... I think it's important to actively break down that kind of barrier that those kind of galleries build up. I feel like it's a real estate uh, shop and uh, the whole atmosphere is like, uh, why are you here? You can't afford it. All right. So... You, you should just leave right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's the weird question because I would like to have a career making art, hmm. you know, and I don't really care. I don't if... think I'm the right person to ask. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but I, I feel it. I'm not here to ask you how to do it. I'm no, here no. to talk about like this system, you know, hmm. like, uh, you know, and for me, I am definitely one of the people who does not raise a fuss. Hmm. I also appreciate all the different forms, I think, hmm. probably more than you do. But you're right. It is becoming ghettoized. Hmm. in a weird way like in a hmm. you know a rich person ghetto hmm. uh, and there isn't a lot of play and I think you're right the the artist run spaces often are uh, play acting a gallery hmm. space yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know what else are they supposed to do if career is everything but career isn't everything I mean life is everything there's so many more aspects to life than just a career I mean mm. Time is also really, really important. I mean, uh, I think time is more important than money, for me at least. Um, and I think instead of sitting with I mean, your hands in your lap and saying, uh, that's how it is, then I think we should all go out and do what we think is missing. I mean, I miss more social, welcoming uh, art projects, uh, that are critical and self-contradictory and fun and party-like, whatever, mm. that means I have to go and do it. And I think that's my only recipe at all. I mean, mm. do what you think is missing. Mm-hmm. So So what do you do in terms of, like, do you, are you arranging events? And yeah, 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 yeah. I have a show at uh, Messaniten at Charlottenborg uh, this fall in October cool. where I want to uh, have a... What do we call it? Uh, I I want to have... Accepting? Yeah, accepting conversations with people, interviews, which is kind of opening up people's uh, opinions and so on. Not critical, you know, like Martin Krasnick, the opposite (laughs) of what he's doing. And I want to base it on what I think is problems in daily life. Uh, Who do you want to interview? Artists? Uh, not really, not necessarily. Uh, I want to invite, uh, interview a psychologist and uh, 
I had this, I mean, that's only one idea. I have several ideas, but that's like uh, how come postmodern theory was used really progressively and creatively in psychology and not in art? Hmm. Why does it fuck up in art and is really, really good in uh, kind of narr narrative psychology and so on? That's interesting. Yeah, Foucault has meant a lot there. And he, I think whenever I see a Foucault quote, I leave the gallery. I mean, I hate that. <laughs> It's a sign of, of, of intellectual laziness. Yeah, I don't know what. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, my mom, my mom's a psychologist. I wonder if yeah. she would have something to say about that. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's no better way to, to encourage discussion than to have an interview. No. And then I also want to do, like, uh, have different performance acts and music. And I want to put the party back in Danish art mm -hmm. and have more of that old kind of combination of rave scene and uh, an art that I like myself. So, Have you ever thought about opening an actual space, permanently having some sort of <sighs> exhibition? Space? I had so many spaces. So, I mean, and, uh, I had a place in Hanoi for one and a half years that was called Hanoi Future Art and it was really, really good actually. Mm. But it was so much work. That's and a it, lot of work. It, it drained me completely. Yeah. It was really, really good. I think we did some, I would say, extraordinary work but uh, no. You can't make art at the same time. And also I had two kids. So, I mean, small kids. Right. Right, like you say, time is one of the most important things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a battle constantly to kind of find kind of where we're going, you know. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk a little bit more about your work. Uh, did you ever have to like develop a style? Let's say like the work you applied for to get into the art academy with. Does that look like the work you did today? Is <laughs> Not that at all. No, that was pure energy. I mean, I was eighteen and I just did this huge painting that was kind of a, an abstract. Uh, whatever, very colorful, fresh painting, and that got me in. Mm -hmm. uh, you had like one, one and a half times one and a half, I think that was the maximum. This was 220 by 220, and I put it in anyway. Mm. And, I mean, I, I think it was just the energy. So Full steam ahead. Yeah, nothing else. Uh, and I was actually completely open when I entered art school. I, I did not know what art was, and I admitted that for day one, and I just experimented and did whatever I was running around on my canvases and throwing paint and, and mm. had a cobra face <laughs> whatever so I mean I just did anything I was I didn't know anything so I just had fun do you know something now? yeah I, I do know how I can make a, a communicative artwork I would say mm. I do know how I can make an exhibition a complete exhibition in two weeks for example concept to uh, I mean end result and whatever so in that sense I do and I also do know what I want to talk about you can see right tools of communication with yeah. not just we're using energy burning yeah, energy exactly 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 I'm not random right anymore I was at that time but uh, well I mean it does relate to the fact that work work being able to work is probably the most important thing for being an artist Just being able to do it, yeah, yeah. you know, sure. the only sure. consistency yeah. I'm seeing across all these interviews I'm doing with artists, all these conversations, mm. is that is that everybody works hard. It is real work to be an artist. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea about talent and whatever, I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's the amount of hours that you put into something. Right, and the whole idea of smoking long French cigarettes at a cafe all day or long. Or pot or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't, no, doesn't really exist. You no. have to be working. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I don't mean networking. I mean right. thinking, <laughs> working, producing stuff, and communicating about it, testing it out, and whatever. So yeah, that's a, that's the main thing. What about working large? Because like one of the things. I, I've seen your work around a fair amount, mm. but I've seen most of the stuff that gets framed because oh, yeah. I'm a framer. Mm. But, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, when I see, I, I, I saw some documentation of the work you did a long time ago in mm. which you knocked over some buses in yeah, yeah. Kong's yeah. new tour yeah, and, yeah. and some cars and stuff. Yeah. It looked like a, a, the Transformers movie. Someone mm. had thrown, you know, cars yeah. around. Yeah. Uh, what about realizing something like that? You know, that's a pretty, you're, it's the center of Copenhagen. You mm. need to smash up old buses. You need to leave them in the middle of a public space. Mm. What's it like making a piece like that? That was a complete coincidence. I mean, uh, I was invited to um, come up with some suggestions for public art that summer. By who? For wonderful Copenhagen. Was, uh, they had this project called Kunstibyen, uh -huh. Art in the City. And they wanted to kind of make their image more progressive. So they asked me and Bjorn Nørgaard to come up with some ideas. And I said, I, I would like to do that, but I wanted to do it with Henrik Plenge Jakobsen, who was, uh, I was collaborating with this project called Burnout at that point. Right, which is other smashed. Yeah, yeah. Thing. And then um, we had like 10 different ideas. One was we wanted to tear down Rosenborg, the Rosenborg Castle and redo it in fiber concrete and uh, do a parking lot in Kongens Hæve. And whatever. I mean, a lot of the suggestions were like totally bizarre jokes. And then we had a serious uh, line as well, which was like we wanted to do 10 installations by 10 young artists that we would pick. We would not let wonderful Copenhagen pick right. them. That was the whole point. Right. Uh, in uh, shop windows at Strøet, at the pedestrian street. Uh, and that could have been interesting as well. And then we had this one of the... the minor suggestions was that we could smash up a parking lot and then the state's state architect state architect no city architect must mm. be who's uh, doing the city planning he had a private war against cars in central copenhagen he wanted them out of the city they're still so, working on that war yeah yeah but but he talked he talked the whole board fire department everybody into this he thought it was a brilliant idea And he said, it has to be Kong's Nuto, and everybody was in. And Henrik and I was just like, what the fuck, Holy can we do shit. this? <laughs> so, okay, let's do that. And we were like, we asked them, can we get some cars? And they were like, yeah, yeah you can have these cars that are going to be wrecked anyway, and we'll fix them. They uh, spray painted them, uh, whatever, so they look new. Mm. And we got a city bus. And I mean, that was just so fantastic. I remember that when they came with the city bus, they put it down at the side, and it didn't have a scratch. And the whole feeling, like, all my childhood, I've been sitting in this fucking bus on my way to school. So it was like, take that back. <laughs> Hitting back, yeah, back, <laughs> back on society, in a sense. Yeah. And then the next morning, when we came 11 o'clock for the opening, the whole bus had been smashed up that night. Oh, that wasn't you guys? No, no, no. Ah. We, we smashed up the cars, but the bus, we didn't touch. 
It was just so beautiful, just laying on the side. Right. But I mean, the, the general people passing through Kongsnytorv. I mean, the, right, drunk people in the middle of the night, just yeah, students it. and whatever. Yeah. I mean, is, is that uh, this, this old tradition where they have to wear their student hat, you know, like that white hat? Oh, it was like graduation time. Gradu- yeah, graduation time, and they had to dance around the Kongsnytorv at that time. So they were also there. So it was actually regular, nice young people that was just smashing on that. Right, and the piece was supposed to stay there for a long time. Three, three had, months, and yes. It was removed, right? After three days, uh, it hit uh, front of the tabloids and so on, and uh, it was uh, attacked very harshly by politicians and whatnot. So for what? Misuse of public money? Being ugly and whatever. And uh, and the whole project, it cost 200000 and uh, they turned that in, some journalists turned that into that Henrik and I each got two hundred thousand for doing it. Oh right, that you guys just walking around with a suitcase full of money. For exactly, exactly, of exactly. Right. So it was actually a third cheap con- uh, project like that. Cheaper. It's not that much actually for getting no. a city bus and knocking no. it over. No, 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 no. So did that feel like a success to you? The fact that it got so much attention and people all yes, flipped of course, out. And- of course, but. We were very unhappy that it was removed so quickly, and they said it was because of hygiene, because people had been pissing and shitting in the bus, and uh, that had this kind of Nazi undertone talking about hygiene in the public space. So, and we protested it. We we thought it was a what can you say artistic censorship hmm. fact. And it's just like these people that I don't know some crack in reality happened, and you could run through there and. Uh, when they discovered what they had done, like they very quickly they closed that gap again. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's hilarious that they were like, "Yes, we're going to do this," and then they were like, "Oh shit, what have we done?" Yeah, yeah, and then denying it afterwards. And <laughs> but I mean that maybe that's where it exists this this space for art. You know that you are you are poking holes in the fabric of. of of yeah. society and, and or you're, you're seeing the crack and you run through when you see it I mean right. I'm not even sure that we poked that hole I mean it was a complete random coincidence that this could be done mm. it was fantastic so it's just like you take that opportunity and you run I mean that's the whole point so. right I mean there's not a lot of people who get to get to do something like that we never, we never got a second opportunity like that right. so uh, we, we had a lot of different other opportunities but never exactly the same so. yeah um, and that's I guess the nice thing about something like that is it exists outside again of this art system mm. you know it's not contained it's not it's no. not sanctified by the boundaries of, no, no. of the art world no do you want to work more like that? More kind of publicly, more outside oh, yeah, the boundaries? Yeah, sure. sure, I love that. It's fun. It's fun. But it's hard to get these kind of projects. So, Do you write a lot of applications for things? Uh, not right now, but I have done that, yes. Because, so. I mean, that seems to be the process in which yes. yeah. this sort of stuff happens. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I'm not sitting around waiting for somebody else to do stuff for me because I realized a long time ago that nothing happens and I could do it myself. Right. I mean, for example, I had some art historians approaching me and they wanted to write a catalog about me and blah, 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 and nothing happened. And I was like, okay, I write it myself and here it is. So, and they were like, ooh, you mm. did that really quickly. Yes, it took two years. <laughs> so, <laughs> I also fundraised it myself and whatnot. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you talk about, about doing it yourself and that seems to me kind of like the anti-academic 
yeah. I don't know if it's anti-academic, but like, you know, the art world has been absorbed into an academic system in many mm. ways. You know, there's now mm. PhDs in art and there's now, yeah. you know, uh, there's yeah. a really great organization in the U.S. called BFA, MFA, PhD, mm. which is a bunch of people who are talking about like, what is, what is art in the world of $200,000 art degrees? Because in the U.S., you know, it's art schools yeah. are exorbitantly expensive. Yeah, yes. uh, and I, I'm an art school dropout because mm. they wanted, you know, insane amounts of money to get yeah. a degree which you are guaranteed not to make good money in, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but it seems like it has been absorbed. You know, and it, it, one of my favorite sayings is that you know, art criticism is the intellectual's revenge on the artist. Mm. Uh, you know, and you could say the same for the academic. Uh, mm. You know. Uh, do you think there's any benefit to the system of 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 of, of PhD art history students? And uh, obviously, you're critical of parts of it, but is there also some benefit to it? No, I I, I don't think it's ever uh, a problem with the institution or the structure as such. I think it's the way that people use it. It's always the person. It's always the asshole that's sitting behind the desk. It's not the white cube. So I mean, right? The walls didn't do anything. No, exactly, exactly. And what's wrong with the with the with the study of art history? I mean, an art historian has to be uh, able to think for him or herself and uh, be creative as well and uh, anti-authoritarian. And I mean, of course, the whole study is authoritarian. But I mean, so is art and whatever. And I think it's it's really. A, you need to be anti-authoritarian to be creative and to do something proper. Mm. Well, I mean, so. I guess you could argue that it's not an art problem, it's a society problem. Everything has to be somehow sanctified by society in a way to 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 exist, you know, in terms of, of larger ideas and projects. Mm. Uh, you know, just like some people are, are revolutionaries and some people are terrorists. And it's an unclear, <laughs> depends on which slide, sure. side of the line you stand on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. But I mean, if you enter art school and you think that the teacher is going to tell you how you're supposed to make art, and I mean, then you're completely wrong. Mm. And the whole point of art is nobody can tell what it is. And we all have to question it and give different proposals for what art can be right and there's there's no specific art is this or that i mean it's all just proposals for it can also look like this mm. so and people have to figure it out themselves and i mean if they're independent i think it's really good to go to art school of course because it's an amplifier it's a huge possibility it's a space to work in for sure definitely there's so many facilities and whatnot mm. so you just can't take it that seriously. I, guess. No. I mean, take the working seriously, but don't take the lesson seriously. Yeah. Don't take the teachers seriously. Don't take <laughs> art too serious. Right. I've seen a lot of students sitting in there at Charlottenburg at the Royal Danish Academy of Fine Arts and feeling feeling really, really estranged by being there. It's this old castle and you cannot put a nail in the wall. And right. And there's so why am I here? people there. Yeah. Why am I here? What am I even doing here? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, you're told before you even get in that if you get in, you're extremely fortunate and special and different. Yeah. You know, and that immediately sets the stage for the fact that this is exceptional and exclusive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which sounds like you ignored. Yeah. 
through the line, you know. Yeah. But this sets the stage nicely for uh, the, the kind of final question, which is a horrible question, but, but what, <laughs> what is art for? And I don't mean that for the world, I mean that for you personally. Why be an artist and not an aid worker or, uh, you know? Aid worker? No. Um, I think for me, it's, uh, it's artist communication, and what I like to communicate about is values for life. Uh, being critical towards all the values for life we take for granted and trying to propose some alternative to these things. And I think it can be done in a very creative, fun, humorist, and cre- yeah, creative, crazy way in art. Mm. You don't have to be dogmatic. You can be self-contradictory. You can, you can, you can entertain. You can do a lot of stuff. That's what I see mm. art's uh, potential as for me. And is that why you continue to work with it? Yes, yeah, fun. I mean, it's definitely it's fun. I still enjoy doing an artwork or you know, whatever project, and it always becomes something different, better, more fun, more crazy than I imagined when I was just having a sketch of it or whatever. And That's one of the things people forget to talk about. We can have a good time doing it. It's so much fun. Yeah, and I that's, like, that's never discussed, really, I don't feel like. But I'm very often laughing my ass off when I'm doing art, <laughs> I mean, in the gallery space and whatever, and it's like, can I get away with that? I mean, it's really, right. can I pull this off? And it's just, I mean, <laughs> it's hilarious. And when I can even make money of it, I mean, it's, it's fantastic, it's right. even more fun. Then you're winning. Yeah. <laughs> so... And also, I think we have all these conventions about what art is and what it cannot be. This mm-hmm. whole blacklist of art cannot be humoristic, it cannot be entertaining, uh, it cannot be colorful, you cannot have a black outline. I mean, if we all collected this whole list of whatever is forbidden, the whole blacklist, that would actually be a recipe to make really, really good art. Sure. <laughs> so, I've thought if, about that as a yeah. photographer, of doing like the picture... The, yeah. the one photograph that has every no-no from photography. Exactly. The beautiful yeah, yeah. sunset, exactly. the photoshopped unicorn, the whole thing yeah. at once. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And that's, I guess that's the only hope is that the boundaries, people make boundaries and then they fold those boundaries back over on themselves, mm. you know, and that's what mm. keeps building this crazy tower, mm. uh, you know, which nobody, mm. hopefully nobody knows where it's going. Mm. That's got to be the plan, right? Mm. And as far as I see the scene now in Copenhagen, I think people are scared. Uh, young artists are scared. They're trying so hard to become accepted and mm-hmm. whatever. And I think they're forgetting to have fun. Mm. I did forget to have fun for a while. I'm, yeah. I'm teaching myself to have fun again, but I did, I did <laughs> yeah. get caught up. And then yeah. you do have to realize, like, wait a second, why did I choose to do this? Mm. Why am I doing this as opposed to something else? Yeah. Um, and then as long as you remember that, then uh, yeah. you have that freedom again. Hmm. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program. Yeah, you're welcome. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, Brink. I hope that afterglow warms our ruddy cheeks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Undergang Armchair. Intro and outro music is kindly provided by Johnny Ripper, and today's interstitial music was provided by David Hyde. 
You can find links to their music and all other things under gang related, such as our apps, our fancy pants website. It's all there on undergang.net. The show is produced in part with the kind support of the Danish Arts Council. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>